Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, that's ABC Movies, uh, a movie podcast where we talk in a way that's kind of funny, not necessarily like super funny, but also not super serious about films and not bad films, but good films. Uh, actually, your best choice. I am your host, Chris Chafin. Uh, with me, as always, is the other host, Caleb Shively, I make me say my own name. I thought you were gonna set me up. <laughs> nah, fuck that, dog. Okay, say I'm Caleb. Name. Hi. Yeah. Um, so on this show, we will talk about two good movies currently in theaters, or you know, currently in the zeitgeist, uh, that uh, are connected in some way. Uh, so this week we've got Amazon versus Netflix, Mexico versus Poland, the Cold War versus student uprisings from the 1970s. It's uh, Roma and <laughs> Cold War. So, uh, but before we get to that, uh, sure just, Caleb, what was the last thing that you watched? Uh, well, last night, me and our mutual friend Hector, uh, we got high and watched Cabin Boy. Uh, did you know Cabin Boy was recently recently released on Kino Lorber, the great DVD company, uh, Blu-ray? You know, you remind me of my niece Sally, lovely girl. She's she's a dietitian. I mean, uh, my first reaction to this is I can't believe you and Hector got high and watched Cabin Boy and you didn't call me. <laughs> like I'm like very wounded by that to uh, hear that. Sorry. <laughs> we went to a show after he only had one plus one. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, sure, sure, sure. So wait, you went to a show and then you watched Cabin Boy Reverse together. That. Oh wow! Hi first, and then go to the show. Wow, gosh, wow! That sounds really Cabin like a really nice, yeah. like bonding experience that two yeah. of you had. Cabin yeah. Boy is one of those movies that always lives in my consciousness, and I get to see it every once in a while on the actual screen. Does it hold up? Is it still good? Uh, it's timeless in that it uh, well, it's a pair. I didn't realize how much straightforward of a parody it is of Captain Courageous, which is a movie from the '30s that Spencer Tracy won an Oscar for. Mm-hmm. It is the same exact plot. A fancy boy gets on a boat, but this is now Chris Elliott instead of. Uh, a child. <laughs> Who is a child, I guess. But it's great. It holds up tenfold. I Oh wow, there's like a cat fight outside. I had not I have never seen Captain Courageous. Oh, oh, Captain Courageous. Yeah, I've seen Cabin Boy. Of course okay. I've seen Cabin Boy. But I've not I've seen Captain Courageous. But uh, on the Blu-ray they had a whole bunch of interviews and they kept referencing Captain Courageous. I was like, let me look this up. <laughs> Because I feel like you were like misrepresenting yourself that you know a lot about Captain Courageous. <laughs> <laughs> uh now I do that uh two facts about it. Um <laughs> Yeah, uh, Catherine and I, we just started watching um, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, oh. uh, which I had never seen. What, that's from what, last year or last the year, year before? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's fantastic. I love that guy that plays Versace. He's in this like French TV movie version of the story of Carlos the Jackal that I really like. Oh. You ever see that? It no. was on Netflix like in the old, old days when they first started streaming. Um, it's like a 10-hour you know, miniseries about this terrorist from the 70s. Meredith just also started watching that, so I catch it in the background. Did call me into the room, like, Caleb, 
this is Penelope Cruz, right? I was like, yeah, that, that that's Penelope Cruz. <laughs> like, she's like, I thought this was Paz Vega because I didn't think Penelope Cruz would do this. I'm like, ooh, you're just hurt, hating on Paz Vega. Yeah, wow. First of all, like, Paz Vega would, like, die to get this yes. part. You know, that would be amazing. For Penelope Cruz, it's like a favor she's doing. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, the OJ show was like... Yeah, that's true. He, he got clout. He's Ryan Murphy. Clout. He's got clout. Um, also, it's that's actually really funny, the Penelope Cruz stuff, because, um, you know, she has, like, a very... Speaks heavily accented English, which is fine. I don't speak any Spanish at all, so she's like way up on me on that front. But then she's like doing a Donatello Versace <laughs> accent, so it's like extremely difficult to understand what she's saying at like any moment. Uh, we have the TV turned up like so much louder than usual because if it's just at a normal volume, it's just like in completely indecipherable. Um, you have it, captions? I almost did that, but my mom does that for like every TV oh, show, sure. so I'm like unable to do that. I have that. to do it for like heavily accented British things every once in a while. Oh, yeah, that's when my mom does it. Yeah. It's, but she's been watching like fucking British mystery shows for 40 years, <laughs> and she still doesn't still have a handle. attuned to the yeah, she, intricacies. She can't hear shit when it comes to British accents, which is like wild to me. I don't understand. Yeah, you have to immerse yourself. <laughs> it's like uh, understanding Donald Duck after all these years. Are you are you good at understanding Donald Duck? Yeah, great at it. <laughs> Top ten all time. I actually forgot that you're always bragging about how much you can understand Donald Duck. Uh, yeah, most cartoon ducks in general. Scrooge is tougher because it's brogue, a Scottish brogue. <laughs> no, I think that's a completely <laughs> no, backwards. It's a completely backwards. And any jack and apes who thinks else should be boiled in his own pudding. <laughs> Um, all right, you want to talk about these movies, Caleb? Uh, they are actually best choice movies. Yeah. Uh, good is subjective, and now we get to talk about some good movies. Uh-huh. Uh, we're talking about Roma first. Uh, Roma, uh, Alfonso Cuaron follows up his Oscar-winning survival space epic Gravity with a much smaller scale foreign language black and white semi-autobiographical early 70s Mexican period piece about a living housekeeper. Produced, directed, shot, written, co-edited, all by Corone. Uh, Roma became an art house success story and has now received 10 Oscar nominations and possibly may have changed a landscape for Netflix and streaming services in general. Yeah, so what do you think about this movie, Caleb? Did Uh, you like this movie? Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, I would put it near the my favorite movies of the year. Uh, it is very much uh, an art house movie. I feel like a lot of the criticisms lobbied at it were directed at the character not being fully formed, and she was a silent character. And can I just say this is exactly the uh, oh criticism I'm going to lobby at it in uh, just a minute. And also, can I say just generally, like we'll probably be. You know, spoiler alert. Generally, oh, we're like, going to we'll spoil this movie. About, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, we're going to spoil this movie. We're going to spoil the fuck out of this <laughs> movie. Um, but yeah, it, it is a movie from her point of view. But it's also not much of people instead of looking at at a movie about a character. It's more of a look at the time frame. I would say it's more of a, a mural than a portrait. Where like every scene is. Uh, the politics of the time or uh, the class system is all informing everything. And he shoots not so much as close-ups as like sweeping things. Like the frames of his are so... It's Alfonso Cuaron. He did Gravity. Yeah, sure. Uh, Children of Men. Children of Men. 
two movies that have epic shots. Yeah, and there's like those like yeah mm-hmm. tracking. So shots to him to down pull pull down to like from space and uh, future war to like. 70s small period about a maid and his Roma is the uh, Colonia Roma is the small village or in Mexico City where he grew up and uh, I think you might it, think that it was a movie about Rome if you <laughs> did not know that and it is never explained or a in type the movie of cheese but no yeah it's the yeah they never really ex- explicitly yeah, they don't. say you have to yeah. do some reading outside of the movies to know yeah. what the hell the title is about um, but uh, yeah I really liked it and your thoughts on it or as. <laughs> Well, I mean, so definitely I have gotten into arguments at cocktail parties about this movie. Um, you know, there's a good Richard Brody piece for Richard Brody, the like occasionally. I know you're talking about New York Times. Extremely. None. The New Yorker, Caleb. Yeah, sorry. Ooh, Caleb, I think you have to move out of Brooklyn now. I'm sorry. That's I, don't, a... I, don't, I didn't like that piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's occasionally very like, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, devil's advocate kind of. Um, I don't know. Anyway, like he makes arguments Cold people don't water. like to make a lot. Sure. Um, he has this like amazing review of Transformers: The Dark of the Moon that he thinks is like a fantastic film, which is insane. Um, yeah, you're defending this guy, <laughs> but uh, but I would like to say I agree with him. Uh, he's talking about how not just the lack of agency of the main character, the woman who is nominated for Best Supporting Actress, which is a fantastic and I think is great, and she does an amazing job in the film, but it's kind of like. So what he talks about is um, Alfonso Cuaron in interviews says like, oh, the the woman that the main character is based on, the maid whose name I'm forgetting, do you remember? Uh, the, her, the, the character, character? name, yeah. Uh, Cleo. Cleo. So Cleo is based on a real yeah. maid. That uh, Liba, Liba, who Liba. they say para Liba at the end of the film. Yeah. Right, that looked after Alfonso Cuaron when he was a little kid. Um, he'll, he would say like, oh, she would tell me stories about the village she was from, or like she would make up stories that scared me and you know, all these like normal, uh, loving memories. And what Richard Brody says is like, well, that's great, but Cleo doesn't do any of that in the film. She doesn't ever mention anything about herself to anyone in the family or even in any other scenes, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I would say even going through this year, there is some actually strong silent characters that are more pointed that you do learn their story. I'm thinking of, uh, Chloe Zhao's the writer. Um, mm-hmm. Even uh, Leave No Trace, those were very soft-spoken characters. Sure. Uh, shout out Deborah Granick. Uh, but there is like one scene, and it does lead up to it. It's the climax of the movie where she do, they do offer her that uh, relief of like uh, her own perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And it's such a f- powerful scene. It's the beach scene at the right, end of the sure, movie sure. where she, uh, after she saves these kids' lives, she actually says, I didn't want that baby. That is powerful sure. shit. Like it's... Uh, very strong, and then that's how we get to know her, and that's immediately followed up by, like, can you get me a banana shake? That's ridic- uh, beautiful stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, the movie has also, a lot of weird stuff yeah. like that, right? Uh, also, it's um, a movie about his perspective, whether he's not going... He's using his own perspective being raised by a maid. He's obviously not in this maid's head. He's trying to be, but he's more outside. So it's always like that weird push-pull, yin-yang, mm-hmm. black-white... Uh, but also, like, how are we to say as, like, uh, privileged New York people? Sure, right. Uh, how, th- like, there is, like, small moments that she offers grace where she gets to see this as her family. And there's, like, a chaos that exists outside, like the thing with her boyfriend, the, the stillborn birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, her water breaks during a riot. Right. Uh, and she does have her moments of peace. Uh, Isn't that, like, a little on the nose, though, also to have her water break during a riot? Because it's, like, external conflict and internal conflict coming to uh, head at, like, I, exactly I do, the same but second. it is, yeah, very symbolic. Uh, the water in this movie plays a big role. Uh, mm-hmm. The the 
aforementioned beach scene. Do they figure out the shape of water in this movie? Is that did they figure that out? Uh, no. Uh, who figured that out last year? Has uh, the great Guillermo del Toro, oh, sure, another sure. A contemporary Mexican it's director. Whatever container it's in, I mean, yeah. it's easy. Don't, don't see the movie. That's the answer. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the opening shot, closing shot, that whole beautiful thing, the water that is reflected on. Uh, you see the plane. It like shows like how we're down on Earth. We're connected to the heavens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the closing shot. Well, the opening shot is like a puddle reflecting it. So mm-hmm. it re- it's, we're down, facing the reflection up. Uh, where now we're looking straight up at the ending scene where the plane goes by as she's washing those clothes. Uh, so it's just like a nice little full circle moment that like she connects heaven to earth. She connects her mm-hmm. lower class to her upper class uh, within this uh, world that she lives in. It's a very complex story to pull off. Uh, I thought he did it very poetically and very beautifully. I mean, I will say obviously like thinking about, like I saw Vice not too long after I saw this movie, mm-hmm. which is terrible it's such a terrible pile of garbage <laughs> um i really was not i don't know if you were a fan of that movie uh there's it's like 20 percent good <laughs> but it's pretty <laughs> good at the time 20 pretty generous i would say yeah, it's pretty generous. um but <laughs> like i was thinking about roma which is a film i wasn't crazy about but i was obviously when it comes to things that speak the language of cinema you know not to sound completely uh pretentious but it, it's obviously amazingly cinematic and you can tell it's made by a genius because it it communicates so much through, behind, behind the, him, yeah. through the camera and through the actors without saying anything and through justifications or like juxtapositions between what they're doing and like what we're bringing to it and like the characters seem to be experiencing a scene in one way. I would like to talk about uh, <laughs> just his achievement uh, as Cron in general. Oh, like, sure. Did you know he built these set, the set? Like this is a, a back lot. Like, no, like, which? Yeah, all a, of it? Yeah. Uh, wow. He built like seven blocks in a, in a studio. Oh uh, they got a production nomination, which... Uh, after learning that, like, hell yeah, you should but get that's it. Makes it. There's so, so many extras in this movie. There's a bunch of extras. Oh, and I mean, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, all those long tracking shots mm-hmm. are timed to within, like, a split second. I mean, you've got, you can Absolutely only amazing. you can only imagine how many times they ran all those things with those, like, extremely long dollies down the street. Although that is interesting, the fact that he built all the sets, because it's, like, what seems on its surface almost like an independent film is actually a a hugely expensive, sure, yeah. you know, like feed of Netflix you know. got out on it early, uh, yeah. as they needed money. Mm-hmm. Um, are you? I was pleasantly surprised by the supporting actress nomination for uh, Marina Day. I'm not going to remember her name off the top of my head. I hope I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, but yeah, uh, surprising. Uh, Marina De Tavares, excuse me, love you. She really had no experience, no training whatsoever. Uh, I read that they shot the movie in sequence to help her out. Oh, really? Wow. That's uh, interesting. But there's a lot of stuff in the movie that he just chose to like really show that she was she didn't know how to swim in real life, so that last beach scene like she was actually really scared to do. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, there was, he didn't really communicate to her too well that it was going to be a stillborn baby, so like oh there was God, a lot really? of just like stress and like real reaction to her when she that, during that scene too the, he actually got her pregnant is that true <laughs> is that they had to have a they had to break for nine months while they yeah but yeah uh as far as like a black and white hard to sell movie uh like no stu- he pitched it to big studios no one bought it good for netflix they like no I mean, that's you're, true right you're a dude who makes great movies we're gonna put this out and now they're gonna win possibly well definitely they're gonna win their at least a best foreign language Oscar at the Do very you think? Least. Well, I mean, we'll be talking in a minute about it. Another nominee. Yeah, for it's best nominated for language. best picture. Yeah. Uh, in general, uh, 
and the 10 nominations. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's okay. It's going to win something. Yeah. It's going to win something. Yeah, if anything, uh, the other four nominations, where there are a lot of great four nominations mm-hmm. this year, uh, will add to how great this movie really is. Um, I do... It's an interesting year for Netflix, too, because not only did they produce this movie that is, like, hugely acclaimed sure. and everyone loves, basically. Let me be clear. I'm aware that everyone loves it but me. Like, I know <laughs> that I'm in the minority. Although I did hear that... <laughs> I have a friend who was at the New York Critics Circle's dinner, and he said that, like, somebody buttonholed him and got into an argument with him, basically saying that Roma is a racist film and that, um, you know, they thought it was terrible, basically. Was that person a person of color? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's a white guy saying it. I'm like more of like, okay. <laughs> there was a Mexican who was actually in the 70s. Yeah, sure. Then maybe, right. <laughs> actually yeah. went through the Corpus Christi riots. I was like, okay, I would hear your opinion mm-hmm. on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure it was a like 45-year-old white man, if I had to guess. Although it might have been Armand White. I don't know. You, like, you know Armand White. His last name's White. <laughs> he used to be at the New York uh, Press. Okay. He's famous for writing like the most... Uh, like out of sync with critical uh, consensus reviews oh. of all time, <laughs> like you know, defending terrible movies and going like he hates Toy Story three, <laughs> which is like what? How the that fuck can you monster. hate? How can you hate Toy Story three? I mean, that's wild. He's like, oh, this is just an ad for Army Men. And you're like, first of all, like army men, like they don't have the money to produce Toy Story. Like that's in no way is it an ad for army men. If that's an ad for army men, then like. Way to go, ad for army men. Then that's a great ad. He's like, I'm tired of living in a country dominated by spring dog ads. (laughs) You know. You're like you're out of your fucking mind. I mean, it's Um, good to have a healthy dose of cynicism, but don't let that lead your way. Right from something great, but I was going to say. So they produced this movie, which everyone loves, Mm -hmm. and then um, they actually turned down some movies, which they used to never do. Like Holmes and Watson is what I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, they did turn down, which is great for them. That was. A horrible movie. Did, I didn't. Did, I did not did see, you see it. it. No. I was. I'm so scared. I'm a huge John C. Riley fan. I know. Me too. Uh, but they. It's supposed to be hate so, on my man. Yeah. It's supposed to be so bad, right? Uh, every time I I would get high and go to the theater, like, nah, I'll go see something else. <laughs> Wait. So do you actually buy your tickets at the movie theater? You don't decide ahead of well, time. Well, uh, I'm uh, still a movie ba- pass guy. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such an insane system of like <laughs> you have to like put a rock in a special place and like walk around the block three times and if the rock's still there when you get back you can go to a movie is that how that works uh, you have to use a card <laughs> <laughs> fuck you fuck you <laughs> I can't see the favorite multiple times though because they that's the only movie that's really I want to see right now <laughs> uh, favorite which I am rooting for sorry oh I'm, re- I'm rooting, rooting for, for that on the Oscar yeah. that's my uh, I would Roma's probably gonna win, but I'm rooting number one for the favorite. Do you think Roma's probably gonna win Best Picture? Yes, I do not think that at Who all. Who do you think is gonna win Best Picture? Oh at my the god, Oscars? I actually don't remember all the nominees right now. If Bohemian Rhapsody wins, I'll be Grand so angry. Book. Especially after the week that Brian Singer had this oh, week. Oh, sure, I don't they should bury that. I shit. don't think it should win. Although the voting is done already. No, the, uh, the nomination voting is done. I think uh, first week of February, which is oh, okay. two weeks from now. Yeah. Uh, the actual. So well, now the nominees are there. The no- voting will be yeah. closed then. I think the odds of Bohemian Rhapsody winning push. anything are very low now that this thing of, about Brian Singer yeah. came out. All right, should we talk about the next movie? Yes. The next movie is Cold War. The 
serduszka cztery oczy Cold War is a new film from Polish director Paweł Pawlikowski. It's a decade-spanning love story of two people who meet again and again throughout the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, Joanna Kulig uh, stars as a young singer who's bussed off to audition for a folk troupe, fleeing from a home where she maybe did or maybe didn't kill her father. Um, the troupe is headed by this dark and handsome man played by uh, Tomas Kotz. Um, so it basically starts in 1945. 546, like just after the end of World War II, and uh, the Polish government is funding basically the creation of this folk dancing troupe to uh, celebrate traditional Polish culture, and we see the troops come together, we see them like Alan Lomax out in the countryside hunting for folk songs, and uh, then we see them, you know, kind of transform those songs into these kind of amazing choral pieces. Um, but then before long, the government is uh, meddling, you know, making them enforce or insert like this uh, song celebrating Joseph Stalin into their routine. Um, so this oppression begins a long story of the two of them separating, you know, escaping to the West, going back to the East, meeting somewhere in the middle, um, building a new life, each of them separately. And then, you know, chaotically coming back together, falling in love, but at the same time, completely exploding each other's lives. It's shot like uh, Roma in this beautiful, beautiful black and white. It's filled with spies, rock stars, and uh, romantic sighing in several European capitals. Um, the whole thing is fueled by these uh, Polish folk songs, which are absolutely beautiful. I had never heard any of them before. Um, and they evolve kind of along with the characters. First, the, when we hear them out in the countryside, they're very rough, but, you know, kind of pure. Then they become the, like I was saying, these kind of choral arrangements. And then they kind of become, mutate into Western European pop music from the 60s. And then again, into some kind of kitsch from the later, later 60s. Um, it's nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, like Roma, Best Foreign Language. It's also nominated for Best Cinematography. And uh, Pawlikowski is nominated for Best Director. I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was really beautiful, and I loved the music in it, obviously, um, which I it was great just to be exposed to the music in it. Um, but I will say, kind of like Roma, I felt, you know, I, it's kind of this tragic love story, and I you would think maybe you would leave it feeling like really emotionally worked out, but I always felt kind of at arm's length from the characters, and I don't know if that's because, you know, I don't speak Polish, so for some reason it wasn't that immediate to me. But, um, you know, certainly that doesn't happen. I mean, shoplifters, you feel like right in with the, um, the action, even though I don't speak uh, Mandarin. But um, something about it was like, it was like a great, technically well done film that I really enjoyed. Oh, and the thing I should say, too, is supposedly it's based on the true story, the true love, of his, the true love of, of, his, of his real parents. I was actually just reading an interview where he was saying... You know, they were like, what part of it is based on your parents? Because it's kind of an insane story. Even the same, those are his parents' were names, Azula and Victor. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Um, but he said, like, the kind of arc of it, and then also the way they die, which I guess is, spoiler alert, they kill themselves at the end. Um, which I, uh, yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> but um, he, I, that was crazy to me. That was the one thing I was thinking would not have been true. But, um, and I don't know... Uh, it's like weird the way they, cause she does have a kid in the film, but it's kind of unclear whose child it is and who it's being raised by. And I'm like, is that him? Is like, is he the child in, of this or did they completely change all of that? Like maybe they did. Yeah. They, yeah. That was a little vague. Um, th there is some like things that are left untold, uh, that are just skipped by, but 
I think that was also the nature of skipping ahead years in the yeah, movie. Yeah, right, because it skips, uh, like, each yeah. scene is, like, You're a doing, different like, decade, these basically. giant time leaps, but you're still always in tune with, like, the central affair between these two people. Uh, like, there's the recurring motif of them always showing up in doorways with each mm. other. Uh, I really appreciated that... Uh, it's all on again, off again. Yeah. Uh, there's a big stretch of it where they're on again in the most romantic city in the world, Paris. But yeah, sure. uh, as they're on, it's more like they start like bickering and more like the uh, off comes. Like, are they actually meant together or the more the struggle to be together is what they're more attracted to? Right. And that's played very well. That's played very well for uh, a metaphor for the politics of the time of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, are you sustained by your struggle? They're almost always about to collapse. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, bodies going across country b- lines too. Uh, and certainly, the man is you know in the early part of the movie, and they say this explicitly, but he's like extremely important, and he's this authority figure, even though he's you know relatively young. He's older than the mm-hmm. woman, like but ten years older, yeah. But uh, he is like putting together this troop, and he's in charge of these like hundreds of people, and this it's very important to the government of Poland, and he's in charge of it. And it's part of what she falls in love with is him as this like authority figure. But then you know he escapes to the west, and he's just I mean he's very successful in the music world but he's also like not important necessarily and it's kind of this dichotomy between like being very significant in this more cloistered world of eastern europe that's like closed off from the rest of the world or being free quote-unquote in the west but you know not really feeling like you belong or you matter or that you're like doing anything of of uh it's changing the world you know that you're just trying to get by basically uh there's a lot to project onto this movie but what mostly impressed me about this movie, uh, this is more from a technical standpoint, was that you were describing this big, epic, long love story of the course, course of years. The movie was only 88 minutes long. Oh it God, was right. so wonderfully concise. Uh, I should have got an editing nomination for how big and uh, time is... jumps they do, uh, but wonderfully, sh- I mean, these shots are so good. And a lot of them are just still shots that just get interrupted by these big musical numbers or mm-hmm. just this wonderful performance from uh, Joanna Kulig. Uh, yeah, I really wish this got more Oscar nominations. In a perfect world, I would say I like this better than uh, Roma, to be honest. I mean, to, and some... I just defended Roma for a long time. <laughs> I loved uh, Cold War. I loved Cold War, too. It was beautiful to watch it, and it was beautiful to listen to, and there are some of the shots like really will stay with me in a way that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really remember things I'm so from glad Roma. he got a directing nomination. Oh, me too. Like uh, that shot of the two of them after they first meet up in Paris when she's like escape to Paris Mm -hmm. and they're walking down the road and she's holding her little purse in front of her and the cobblestones are sort of like um, sloping down and up behind them and they're Mm. like you know obviously in love it's Mm -hmm. like a super super iconic uh, shot Uh, and it looks like it could be from like a Godard film or something sure yeah Uh, the scene where she's like they find a a body of water just like a little pond and there's like a nice little swim in there as like her head is floating Mm -hmm. beautiful shot uh, even the last shot with the empty bench is great. Uh, he did win Best Director at Cannes this yeah, year. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if we're talking about award shows, the really only cool award sh- <laughs> is uh, the Film Festival Award. You have to earn a right to be there. Yeah. And then they give uh, cool people give you an award. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to Powell there. Powell, Powellkowski. It was funny. I was watching this interview with him where he was like, First of all, he looks like the coolest fucking guy in the world. He's got, like, your haircut, but his hair is, like, all gray, white. And he was wearing, like, a black blazer, like, a gray T-shirt and big black sunglasses. And he was like, yes, filmmaking, you know, I just, uh, I cannot do any other job. I love to travel and to dream. And it's, like, kind of annoying, but also kind of, like... The whole kind of lifestyle 
uh, works for me, especially since I don't have that much to say all the time, you know? So you can do be it, annoying, you, know? you have to be really good at art. He's yeah, really and he is, right? I haven't yeah, seen yeah, his exactly. first two movies. Uh, Ida, which Ida, got some right, Oscar. Yeah. Well, he had two movies before Ida, too. Uh, but Ida got, got Oscar love, deservedly so. Uh, I didn't. I did not see Ida. Ida, so well, it got a Best Picture nomination. It's crazy that got a Best Picture nomination, yeah, right. and also uh, same cinematographer, very well earned for these beautiful shots. Uh, Lucas Zoll. Uh, I he's only done other Euro- European movies I haven't seen, uh, so I hopefully he'll be more of a breakthrough mm-hmm. from this movie as I well. I mean, and the, I mean, I'm speaking of the language of cinema, like again, this is another film that's like masterfully communicates information just through you know, glances mm. and through the way the camera is and, you know, the lighting and the setting, uh, you know, f- two, like, amazing performances by the two leads. Mm-hmm. Like, Joanna Kulig is, like, fantastic in yeah. the film. She's and more of the electric one where uh, she reacts more to his stoicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they both play those uh, tropes very, very effectively and even originally. Yeah, and, I mean, there's just, she just has this quality on screen that you're like very magnetic you can't look away from her right i mean also i do think she looks exactly like jennifer lawrence uh which is like very distracting did you (laughs) did you think that at all uh i did think that yes uh and she kind of doesn't in real life no like usually uh, it's something about the way they styled her in this movie she looks exactly like the eyes are very similar yeah uh, her like lips maybe yeah Yeah. and her like yeah the way she has like messy blonde hair and she Mm kind of seems like fun but insane like in this way this kind of jennifer lawrence jennifer lawrence big oscar movie was uh david o russell bradley cooper trash bag dancing what's that movie called um, philadelphia robert de niro philadelphia half-life um, uh, no, silver linings album. playbook silver linings playbook. yeah there was dancing yeah. in that movie and there's a lot of dancing not a lot of dancing but there's dancing there's dancing in this yeah. movie i mean there's like big organized folk dancing yeah beautiful shot folk dancing uh but it is uh to bring it back to the streaming, that was uh, sure. Amazon, Amazon yeah, Studios, who has a nice track record, Manchester by the Sea, uh, yeah. what was Camille's movie called, uh, uh, Big Sick, Big uh, Sick yeah. a ton of stuff, but they also can afford to do that because they're Amazon, and they put their things in theaters, and then they just put them in streaming services automatically because they own the studio and own the rights to it. Well, that's like a big controversy, right, because they wanted... They started putting their movies in cinemas first mm-hmm. so that they could be eligible for Oscars. Mm-hmm. Like they were going to like not let them compete at the Oscars if they didn't do that. And that was kind of a compromise that both Netflix and Amazon reached, mm-hmm. which I think is good. I mean, I like going to movies. I like going to the movie theater. Like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know that I would have watched either of these movies if they only just popped up on my Netflix and they mm-hmm. hadn't been at the movie theater. I should see, uh, did you see Roma in theaters? I did. Yeah. Uh, I did not see. I'm definitely going to, it's still playing in theaters as of this podcast. I think. <laughs> Uh, but the sound uh, got sound and editing. One of its ten nominate, two of its ten nominations. Let's talk a little bit about how you think the editing Oscar is the most important Oscar. Oh, uh, editing is a hard thing to quantify. It's how you swallow movies, how you feel about a movie. Can uh, I just say that was the grossest way to start off that explanation? It's how you swallow movies. It's how like how you digest, like how you feel about it, yeah. like. It's gonna go down hard, like like oh, there's something chunky, like chunky about this movie to be continue being gross. <laughs> like, why is this feeling weird? That's the because uh, it's edited weird. Uh, why did Mad Max, uh, f- g- uh, the last Mad Max movie, Fury Road, feel so good? Because it was edited so well, they nonstop punchy in the face. It was great. It's all in the middle of the frame. You know, they put it all in the middle of the frame. Uh, Man directs, man creates. I am man. I spray my film everywhere. Oh my god! Oh my god what just someone goes to you? and what? cleans it up, <laughs> and we have a great movie after that. 
Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I never had thought about that before, it's really. A, it's the dopest. I just thought it's like the editing Oscar that like a Star War always wins. <laughs> um, but I guess that's not, that's more like sound mixing. Yeah, the sound mixing, is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sound mixing, sound editing. But it is interesting because these are two like really high quality things coming from streamers in a time when I feel like, especially Netflix is investing as much in bad content as they are in good content. Oh, like, yeah, they're going everywhere. They seem to have decided, which I think is really smart that, you know, not all of your TV watching time can be active time. Like some of it, you just have TV on in the background and it's passive. And so you need shows that you aren't like hour long dramas that you need to be. Oh, sure. They have those, those, yeah, those easy digestible things. That's why friends and the office are like their number one. Streaming right. Sure. Things. Sure. But even like original stuff, like, you know, nailed it. I mean, which I love and I love Nicole Byer. Like, she's Oh, amazing. sure. I, for, I haven't watched that yet. Uh, yeah. They have that dumbass ranch show, ranch show. Yeah. They have that, that dumbass uh, the ranch show. Huge, even all these true crime, uh, this Ted Bundy have, show everyone's talking about. Uh, all our friends talk about Terrace House. Yeah, Terrace House. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Thing. But I think that that does take a little concentration, at least because it's in Japanese. It, yeah. You have to read it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what do you think it means for more of the future as, uh, like, say, Netflix, for the sake of this argument, wins Best Picture? Uh, they have all this clout. They're already working with the Coen brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, they have more cool stuff coming out next year. They're doing a Scorsese movie next yeah. year. Uh, they're going to be a legit studio. They're going to have... They might actually build their own physical studio space now. Although, I mean, I think they probably wouldn't if they can save money by not doing mm -hmm. it or something. And for movies, what does that mean? Like, more things are yeah. going to be out there? Because uh, we're in early 2019. We're about a year away from Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, it's going to completely upend. Yeah. The like, are they right? going to... I mean, they're probably already, like, set on, like, what they're... I mean, they're Disney. They do own Marvel. Uh, they own Marvel. They own the Marvel. Muppets. They own the they Muppets. They own Fox now? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's the other big thing they own? Star Wars. Star Wars. Right, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting time. Like, it's almost like you have to look back to the beginning of the film studio system. I mean, who were those people? Sure. They didn't have any particular connection to film. I mean, film was very new at the time, obviously. But they were just people that had a lot of money and some interest in uh filmmaking it, it's so weird because with, to be interested in producing films like this you have to this weird mix of uh like you want external adulation as much as you want money i mean obviously there are better ways to make money if you're a company and you have like billions of dollars mm -hmm. you can whatever make missiles or something but amazon about to send you missiles <laughs> you make drones right yeah. you make drones <laughs> um you make apps or whatever but i guess they they made the money doing that kind of thing and now they're interested in having a more of like forward-facing thing but also i think you know in the end of the day it's cheaper for them to produce their own is, yeah. content than it is to buy other it people's is. content yeah, now that people have their content now now that other, other producers have figured out how much money you can make th through streaming right mm -hmm. it used to be easy to get that stuff for cheap because people didn't think there was a market in it right mm -hmm. but now everyone's launching their own streaming services and every streamer is going to have to have its own original content basically yeah. you know um and i think that should a part of that content be like world-class films like yeah i do yeah. you know but it's almost like and you know the weird thing is that uh because i was gonna say it's almost like a loss leader like you can have it as a sort of prestigious calling card for your organization but uh, movies like this do make money like they, they oh, yeah. make a lot of money uh, you know? yeah roma did uh, very well uh, i mean it uh, it's a black and white foreign language movie it never was gonna set the world on fire box office wise uh netflix was 
kind enough to put it in theaters where it would yeah. probably made the same amount anyway. And now people in Iowa or Midwest without as many. Yeah, Sorry, right. Iowa. I don't know your <laughs> yeah, art house no. theater You're situation. Shitting on Iowa. Too many vowels per per, <laughs> per state. Three to three to one. You are you have very very strict rules about vowels and that state just, names. That just yeah. throws me off. Um, but yeah, but people who live in places without art house cinemas can access it, right? Which I think is great. Yeah, you know? totally. Um, I, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to have a huge change. Although obviously we're in this weird place where you had this boom in independent art house film in the late nineties and early two thousands, um, which kind of curdled into this weird kind of like indie blockbuster thing where everybody just made like bank robbery movies that were sad. Um, but then all the stuff went away, like Miramax went out of business, like even before everyone found out mm-hmm. what a monster Harvey Weinstein was, like it was gone, you know, and I keep trying to revive it, but it never has really worked. Um, and it was all, we're in this model now where people are hop, cobbling together money from like, you know, Dubai and China for like oh, bigger sure. movies. And then for smaller movies, you know, everything from like, you know, Zach Braff made a movie on GoFundMe. I mean, it was terrible, but he did it, you know? And uh, so... I think it's an interesting thing to have an organization that has a big forward-facing entertainment presence that everyone in America knows about interested in the business of making good movies. Mm -hmm. Like, I hope that it continues. I hope that they do more and more of it. uh, As long as they give directors freedom, uh, there was a great Coen Brothers interview where they talked about uh, how much freedom they wanted. They probably would have never got to (laughs) have as much freedom to make an anthology movie. Oh, my God. Although, can I have a theory that I won't really get into right now, but that... That um, it's actually bad how much freedom creators get from <laughs> streaming services. Oh yeah, maybe we're about to get course corrected in that sense. But we didn't, like you said, the what was that? Uh, Holmes and Watson got right. Well, I mean, my side. example, like, just think about Mad Men versus the Romanoffs. Like, oh, true. One of them is like a watchable television show, <laughs> and one of them is like a series of movies. I guess yeah. I don't know which are about something. I don't know, <laughs> but it's like Matt Weiner is famous and everybody likes him, so Amazon gave him a an infinite bank account. Some art muse, yeah, yeah, to just do whatever he wanted. And I think the end result is I think it's good, but I wouldn't say that it is as watchable as Mad Men yeah. or even television. I don't even know what it is, you know, which isn't bad. Maybe that's me having a like blinkered point of view and like being addicted to the past or whatever but uh maybe a little bit of producer's notes would be good somebody being like hey matt um does this really need to be like a six hour thing about how a guy wants to fuck his maid like is that i would have been cooler if they just made like two movies instead like the in the same vein uh like some of those were really good but yeah the whole thing just felt like a experiment in Patience, getting yeah. having him to direct, I guess. It did remind me of the old days of, of being like twenty years old and thinking, um, "I'm really not enjoying watching this at all, but I know that it's good. How long can I make myself sit here and continue I'm glad to I watch it?" I got it to the Catherine, uh, Catherine Hahn episode, which is really good. Yeah, I only watched the first two. I didn't. Oh, I that, stopped after the, that. Second, that's the best one. Uh, it's her and R.J. Ferguson, who was in Mad Men. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, they go to Russia and adopt a kid. It's the best one. Is that the, which one is that? Third? Uh, fifth, I believe. The fifth, though, yeah. I got to get all the way. But you yeah. can just skip, right? They don't oh, relate yeah, you can to skip. each other. They don't relate to each other, no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Any final thoughts on <laughs> <laughs> Cold War? <laughs> uh, on Cold War? <laughs> what well, did have to do with a uh, European country? Anyway, uh, yeah, congrats to Paul. I'm uh, rooting for that. Uh, it's not going to win much, but uh, I hope people go see it. It's in theaters now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a great film, and I would recommend seeing it. Yeah, uh, I'm not a, a huge fan of romantic movies, but this one uh, really touched me, and I'm uh, a huge fan of 
Yeah, because you hate boy girl stuff. You hate holding hands. Yeah. Oh, I like uh, uh, girl girl stuff or guy guy stuff. <laughs> that stuff's more interesting. Yeah, sure, I've seen your web browser. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. Uh, these two films, like if I had to put them against each other, God, I don't know. They're both good in different ways and bad and actually kind of similar ways. One of the Richard Brody arguments against Roma is that politics impact the movie, but they don't ever like actually discuss any political ideas mm-hmm. in the film, which I would say is exactly the same in Cold War. Like yeah. Politics has a huge impact on it because it's obviously all about the divisions in Europe, but then neither one of them ever expresses mm-hmm. a single idea about like the Where state Cold of the Cold War kind of like lines up and has like a arc that metaphor like goes up against it, mm-hmm. where uh, Roma, the politics just exist to uh, like fill in the frame. Like it, yeah. uh, it is the time. It's this more like an action. Like on. there's a riot. Like there's and things going on and what do we hold important? And are, uh, yeah, there's a whole thing about there's a richer family that they visited. Yeah. Uh, about who owned the land that her mother owned. Yeah. But I mean, right, there's the Corpus Christi riots, but just like that was a student riot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, demonstration that was then put down by the government. But if you didn't know any of that, like, I don't know, it could be anything. It could be about anything. It could be a fucking, like, football fan riot. Like, <laughs> that, you know, but you just have to have this vague idea that, like, the protesters are kind of good and the people who are killing them are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, they don't get it into at all. Like, what is it about? Which I, I think is, you know, that's what real life is like, yeah. right? Like, you don't always know yeah, why, what's happening. Yeah, for viewing it from her know? perspective, she wasn't as much concerned with that. But uh, anyway, those were our two films for this week, Roma and Cold War. Both black and white both and in different and languages. And we now love, both Oscar nominated. Because we love cinema. Like, I, personally, I'm a big fan of cinema. I like cinema films. <laughs> uh, je t'aime sin. <laughs> <laughs> I go to the movies. Yeah, hell yeah, dog. Uh, so that's it for this week. Uh, tune in uh, in the future when we will have a different two films that we are talking about. And I don't know what they are right now. Um, tune into the past. <laughs> Uh, Thanks, everybody. Goodbye.